welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. I absolutely love getting the missions updates and uh, learning more about our missionaries that we support, and even being able to share things we can't always share uh, publicly or because of the internet and be able to do that. So Justin, appreciate that. Always love hearing who it is that we're supporting. And uh, one of the things we need to make sure we're always letting the church know is what we're doing and what we're involved in. Had uh, lunch the other day with somebody, and he's like, what are we doing for the refugees with ISIS and, and the attack and all that? And, and you know, you just forget all the good we're doing without even talking about it. The Assemblies of God sent out a letter uh, to a hundred of the largest churches, and they, or an email, and they said, uh, we're praying that we can raise uh, $100,000 uh, from these hundred churches, they're each hoping that we'd each give a thousand, and we immediately fired back uh, a check for ten thousand dollars. Didn't have to take an offering, and they're like, "Okay, one church did ten percent. Okay, and uh, ninety-nine of you can. The rest of you pick up the ninety. You know, and it was like jump it in, and you forget that they're like, "Okay, that's great." And to us, our a normal is an exceptional, and, there, and you forget, we've got 200 missionaries and organizations we're supporting, and, and then I was talking about that immediately we were talking to the leader of Convoy of Hope, saying, we want to send money and, and help, and he's like, we can't get it to the people, we've got the resources, pray for breakthrough, so we're involved in these things, but people don't always know, they don't even know that, um, you know, like our video, and I think this is right, Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, all three of the families from River Valley, they get supported at $500 a month that are in the video. Is that correct? Yes. So I was sharing with somebody and I said, you know the videos of the people that we're launching out? Do you know that each of them is going to be supported $500 a month from River Valley Church? I mean, just like that. I said, we're in with these people to send them, to make, you know, to help them to go. And so people don't even know all the good we're doing. And, uh, but anyways, uh, I love, love, love getting the missions updates and all that that's going on. Real quick, I've got a couple uh, things to share with you. One, an update just on my own uh, life. Another, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, four eyes that you need to have. And, or not four eyes, but four eyes that are available. And uh, one that you really need to have. And then I want to talk to you about uh, when, where, and why I speak in tongues. Uh, I just feel like uh, led to speak to you guys about that. So first thing, just the insight, uh, prison ministry. Just spoke at the prison yesterday. And uh, it's interesting. I, in the last, you know, 10 days, I think it's been, um, I've spoke, I've done a, a men's conference that had 1,600 men at it. I did a, a church that uh, was 450 people, multi-site in New York, in an urban setting. Um, I spoke to the Assemblies of God World Missions and had everybody here, I mean, Dr. Wood, you know, all the leaders of our movement, the, the smartest missionaries, superintendents, got to preach a message for them. Um, then I preached the weekend at River Valley, you know, at the church this weekend. And then I went to prison uh, yesterday to preach. And I will tell you this, the hardest sermon I did was in prison. I'm just going to tell you, it was another level of, the other ones were easy compared to this. It was, I mean, and it used to be the pressure of preaching in front of leaders, but I knew they were with me and I felt like I had a God word for them and I was speaking their language and I had prayed it through. Uh, the prison was a whole nother level of, you know, just 
It's a prison. There's oppression. There's, there's bondage. There's, you know, all sorts of things going on. And then there's uh, a non-responsive crowd that just stares at you. Like you tell a joke, they're like, you tell a serious story. You tell a sad story. It's like, it was, it was really hard. And then finally they started to come around and the team was like, no, they were with you. But for me, it was draining. And I think what added to it, just as a side note, um, you know, I, I didn't get enough to drink. And so I was starting to dehydrate and the room was hot. And then I was like, I need something to drink. And then I was like, where do you even go to the bathroom? I'm in prison. Like, do they have like men's room, women's room? I mean, like, it's, you know, and so I didn't get anything to drink. Then finally I was like, I need something to drink. So all this just kept wearing me down and making me more tired. But spiritually, uh, it was absolutely another uh, different level of preaching. And uh, I'm going to try to figure out how to get all of our pastors to preach a sermon in prison. Um, so I don't think you should be on this staff and leave our staff having not preached a sermon in prison. Uh, and you say, well, what if I fail? Well, then fail miserably and let God speak to you. But uh, <laughs> everybody needs to do it. Everybody needs to do it. So if you are credentialed and you're in our church as a pastor, we need to figure out a way to get you into the prison so you can just get to it. it, it it's, it's like the best thing I could tell you, I feel like a workout where you do a different workout that you had no idea how to do and everything hurts the next day. Okay, that's how I feel spiritually. I feel like I did CrossFit and everything hurts today because I'm not used to it, but it's a good hurt. Does that make sense? It's a good hurt, and I'm asking God to build me up in this way. So anyways, that was just a side bonus teaching. Um, I, I was, we were praying the other day and um, praying about some decisions that are being made, and I had some of the team in the office and I just said, let's ask God to start this meeting out by giving us a word. Let's ask God to give us some insight, some direction. So we do this, and uh, while we're praying, God gives me this quick thought, just boom, just drops it on me. And I will tell you this, I absolutely love when God just drops something on you and gives you something right in the moment. Matter of fact, even during prayer, uh, I got a couple other things. And when Darren was teach, doing his teaching, that spurred another thought. So I quick wrote down that note because I thought, oh, that's going to go into another teaching. And the Holy Spirit was downloading some things to me. Um, I love it when it happens like that. And this is one of those moments. And uh, the question that I was that, that the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, what kind of eye do you have on the situation? What kind of eye do you have on the situation? And I believe there are four types of eyes that the Holy Spirit gave me. Questioning eye, critical eye, analytical eye, and the insightful eye. Don't worry if you didn't write them all down. I'll go through all four of them. Questioning, critical, analytical, insightful, okay? And the first thing that, that I just felt so strong is that many times in a situation or in an organization, you can have a questioning eye. Like, what do I mean by that? You're questioning, well, why are we doing that? Why is that going on? Why? And usually a questioning eye will come from a group, okay? The group has a question. The group wants to know. The group wants to question you. And, it, and, it, and it's, again, it's a... It's a dangerous eye to have and to develop as a person in life, a questioning eye. Um, again, usually the group will have that. And uh, I noticed this in the Bible, that the Pharisees would come as a group to Jesus. You know, in Luke 20, they're like, what authority do you preach with? Isn't that interesting? 
They had a questioning eye. Jesus, what authority do you have in this situation? The group of Pharisees come to him. In Mark 8, 11, it says, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. So here they come. They come with a questioning eye and they don't have any intention of really solving the problem. I think if you have a questioning eye, many times you're just trying to expose the leader and you really aren't on with it and, and there's a friction here, and I guess that goes into back row, front row leadership. But you got to be careful with the questioning guy. I talked to one of the guys in our church. He, his job is to question everything that's happening financially in the financial world. And he has to question everything. What's the motive behind everything? Because he deals with high finances. And so every decision that's announced every day, all he does is question it. Why? What's going on? What's the motive? What, who's doing what behind the scenes? And he said when he comes to church on Sunday, he even brings that questioning eye with him. And you know, like... The worship leader will say, raise your hands. He'll be like, why? Why is he saying to raise my hand? You know what I mean? You're like, we're just trying to get you closer to Jesus. That's all we're trying to do. He said, even when you preach sometimes, I'll be like, okay, but why? Why? And he said, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, process it. I'm questioning everything. And he said, when my campus pastor shares, I'm questioning everything about it. And I just said, this is what came to me. I said, you know, you have to disengage from that part. And if you don't, you're going to ruin your family. You're going to ruin your spiritual life. And I said, you're going to have to stop and disengage. And maybe you'll have to literally stop and set something aside to disengage, or you'll have to spiritually be aware of it. It made me think of... Uh, a dad that brought his work home with him and he always was bringing the stress of work home and he realized that he'd get to the front yard and he'd park his car in the driveway and he'd pause for a moment and he'd look at his house and he'd look at his yard and he'd say, this is my house, this is my yard, this is my home, this is my family. I'm leaving it there. I'm leaving it there. And before he'd get out of the car, he'd say, I'm leaving it there. I said, you might have to leave it there before you, even if you have to come into church and you have to pause at the threshold and say, I'm entering the church. Put me in a receiving mode, Lord. Put me in a receiving mode. Because he just, it was ruining his church experience, which, which led him to the next one. Um, he said, the questioning eye that I have leads me to a critical eye, okay? That's an eye that is, again, you say, well, God has helped me to point out problems. We'll get to that in a minute. But that's not this one. A critical eye, again, is usually from a struggle uh, that's going on. And in Numbers 12, God just spoke to me about this. Uh, the critical eye is like Miriam and Aaron, the Bible says, began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite, and they had a critical eye. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? The Lord, and the Lord heard this. And it says, now Moses was a humble man, which he wrote himself, uh, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. <laughs> now that to say it yourself. But at once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out of the tent of the meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of a cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, um, skipping down to verse nine, it says, the anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. When the cloud lifted above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had uh, defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Now, just a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, the reason why Miriam got it and not Aaron is Aaron was the 
priest. And if Aaron got it, there was no cleansing ability. So they think that God was mad at both of them and Miriam took the brunt of it, which that could be a whole nother teaching. Like sometimes you take the brunt of it, even though you're both equally wrong. Have you ever had that happen? Okay, so they both were wrong, but God, because of his position, didn't give him the leprosy because if you had it, you had to go to the priest and show yourself clean. But he was mad at both of them and Aaron knew it. Okay, but it all came from a critical eye, which was so dumb. Think about it. They're having a critical eye on who he married. Look at him. He's marrying a Cushite. God speaks to us too. Why is he, why is this going on? What's the problem? So you got to watch out with a critical eye in life and, and, People with critical eye, with this eye, are not in the flow. And I even think Thomas in uh, John 20, 25, it says, uh, you know, in 20, 25, 26, and he's saying, you know, the other disciples come and they said, we've seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I won't believe it. That's a critical eye. They're telling him, here's what we're doing. And here's what God's doing. He's like, nope, unless I see it, I'm not doing it. I'm not going along with the play unless I, okay, it's a critical eye. And you got to watch out if you have a critical eye um, because it takes you out of the flow, which leads me to another one. This is actually a gift to the body of Christ and not to be confused with the questioning eye or the critical eye. It's the analytical eye. Some of you are wired to have analytical eyes, not me. I don't have that, okay? But you have an analytical eye. Um, you, are a, you have the gift of discernment. You are a blessing to the organization, but leaders don't often see this as a gift, okay? I had to learn that an analytical eye, such as my wife has, is a gift to me. I'd write something and she'd say, okay, that was great, but there's these misspellings here and this sentence doesn't make sense. And then I'd get offended, like, whatever. I'm just asking your opinion. I didn't ask for a spell check, you know? And, 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 and she's like, sorry, like, I'm just trying to help. Like, did you want to put it out with misspelled words? You know, like, you know, and, and I'm like, Okay, and it took me a while to realize she's analyzing it and looking at these things in a way that is, she's trying to use her gift to help me. And as a leader, I got to be secure enough and be discerning enough to know when somebody has a questioning eye and a critical eye or an analytical eye. And I think people in the Bible had analytical eyes. I mean, uh, when I look at... um, Oh, the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 15, his disciples answered him. They said, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? I think some of the disciples, whoever of the 12 had an analytical eye did like, hey guys, I just did the math. There's like 5,000 men here, plus women and children. And I think that will break, break the bank. I don't think we have enough money for that. Matter of fact, based on $2 a person, I think that, you know what I mean? We don't have that in the treasury. How in the world are we? Matter of fact, I don't even think there's enough restaurants around here because I've checked on the way here. We had like 10, do we? past 10 ends on the way. That's, there's not enough food. You see what I'm saying? So go tell Jesus, we figured it out. It doesn't work. Like I'm trying to solve the problem. He presented us with the problem and I can't find the solution. And it wasn't that he was questioning what Jesus said. It was just their analytical mind said, you can't do that. Have you ever had somebody with an analytical mind? You say, we are going to serve 500 people lunch at the event. And they go, Okay, how are we going to serve 500 people to lunch? And we've got 30 minutes. If we have 500 people and each person takes 30 seconds to grab their ham, turkey, or whatever, that's the, this many minutes. We have to have 18 tables set up. And I don't think we have 18 tables. They're just an analytical mind. They're not questioning your authority. 
They're not critical of what's going on, but they're actually analyzing it and trying to solve the problem. Okay? Okay, and here's what I've learned about somebody that you can decipher between a critical or questioning eye or an analytical eye. An analytical eye always brings it to the leaders, not the team. A critical or questioning eye goes, what do you think about that? What do you think? What do you think? I don't know if I like that. I, you say, that's a critical or a questioning eye. An analytical eye goes, okay, I, I'm not sure that we've thought this through. Have you thought through this, this, and this? You see the difference? And so an analytical eye always goes to leaders. A critical or questioning eye uh, goes uh, to others. You know, you always bring concerns to the fixers. That's the way an analytical eye can bring. And if you have an analytical eye, know this, know this, know this. We love and appreciate you, okay? But you also got to know that when you analyze something that somebody has poured out of their heart, they're very vulnerable. Try to become a touch more compassionate in your analysis. That's coming from somebody that has been wounded. That'll save you seven counseling sessions. No, I'm just, it is, it's true. Like a visionary will pour out their heart. And then somebody will go, what about this? And you're like, well, great, rain on the parade. You know, they're not raining on the parade. You could say, that's awesome. Let's fix the problems. I've identified a few hiccups, you know. However you're going to say it, you just got to learn to say it Ease in nicer before you dump the data, okay? Does that make sense? Ease in nicer before you dump the data. And those of you that are visionaries that get people with analytical minds that come and bring you stuff, get thicker skin, all right? I'm in that. Realize people with an analytical mind are a blessing to the body of Christ. All right, the best eye, the best eye that you can have is an insightful eye, an insightful eye. So we've had the questioning eye, the critical eye, the analytical eye, and the insightful eye. As a leader, the best eye that you can have is an insightful eye. As a, as a team member, an insightful eye. What does it mean? It means you see what isn't there yet, and you're trying to figure out how this can move forward. You, you are able to call people to something that they don't even see, um, I'm trying to think of, of just a couple of things. Um, to me, I think Peter and John in Acts 3, okay, he has an insightful eye, okay? He sees the situation of the guy that's lame, and he says, it, the Bible says that Peter looked right at him, and then he says, look back at me, like he has insight into what God wants to do in that moment, and it's an insightful eye. He didn't say, like, God, I wonder why this guy is crippled. He didn't say, boy, I wonder how many days he's been there analyzing it. He did, you see what I'm saying? He didn't say, God, it must be your fault this guy's like that. He was like, There's, something's going on here. I've got an insightful eye on this situation. Now look at me. We're going to figure out what God wants to do next. That's an insightful eye. Um, I, I think you get this um, from a couple things. I think you get this uh, with your team, and leaders can have an insightful eye through a couple things. Proximity, okay? You get it by being around people and around stuff, and the proximity of being near the situation can give you an insightful eye. I think that's how Peter and John got their insightful eye in that moment, because they were around. I think you get your insightful eye, which what Pastor Darren was just talking about, by pausing, by pausing. 
You get an insightful eye by stopping and considering what is God doing here? What's going on in this situation? And you pause. And he said, you have that think time, your concerns, opportunities, questions. Holy Spirit, speak to me. You, you, you get the insightful eye from being around people. You get it from, by, from pausing. Um, these all start with P. I just put a P for all of them. You get an insightful eye by spending playtime. Whatever that was the best I could come up with. Uh, golf. When, when, okay, golf, uh, yeah. yeah. It's not to start with a P, by getting par. Okay, um, <laughs> it, helps. it helps. Here's what I mean. When we do lunch, like I tell people how long our all staff lasts today, that we start with prayer and worship and this, then we have lunch, then we do it. Okay, some guy, really, you spend that much time? Or I'll say like, hey, uh, we're doing this event, we're having fun together, we're doing our quarterly, all pastors and spouses get together, we're doing these things. They're like, wow, you do all that time together. I said, yes, because I get an insightful eye when I'm around and we spend play time. And when we, when we do those times, it allows me to speak into other times. The playtime allows you to speak into the other times. And so you know somebody, you know, you put humanity on it. You know, um, some of you, if all we knew about you was your work, we, we would think you're just driven so hard. But when we see you in playtime and you get away, you, there's, human, there's humanness to it and it allows us to receive from one another. And uh, you get the insightful eye prophetically. You get it prophetically. Um, the word that I gave uh, in the beginning of the worship, or at the end of the worship time, that was a, a prophetic word that I felt God was speaking over all of us. And uh, it was, was kind of neat. Uh, Matt came up, he goes, what was the scripture reference of that one? Because I liked that. That was good. That was a good one. I said, it was prophetic. It, was, I, it wasn't it was like God just gave it. He's like, okay, all right. And so I sent it to him. But, you know, it's interesting. A couple people, several, half dozen, texted me and said, wow, I needed that. I needed that. Can you send that? So I'll send that out to the team. I'll give everybody, just so you can have a copy of that. It was God giving us a prophetic insight in that moment, and uh, that was an insightful eye. I was walking around the troops, and I saw you with different, varied uh, degrees of, of tired, varied degrees of spent, varied degrees of, of concerns. And God's like, here, I'm going to give you an insightful eye prophetically into this situation. That's the best eye you can have as a leader, as a follower, anything. An insightful eye that comes from proximity, pausing, playtime, and prophecy. And uh, it's interesting. Um, yesterday at the prison, um, I get done, and there's one guy, just one guy that just nodded and was smiling and was with me. And so I said, man, you... You have a gift to listen. You are an encourager. You have something special on you. You, you have an encouraging personality. And I want to let you know God's going to use that for his glory. And so I get done speaking over this guy's life. And the guy behind him goes, what about me? If you're going to share, you'll speak into my life. That's exactly what he said. I thought that's pretty good. It, it, for just a moment, it reminded me of India when I was there and people would grab your hand and put, you know, your, like you're praying for this guy and another person comes in and grabs your hand off of his head and puts it on his head. Like, pray for me now, you know? That's really what happened in India. Really did. And so it reminded me of the same thing. This guy goes, what about me? What do you see? Speak into my life. 
And so I said, you are a back row leader that God wants to move to the front row and God wants to take you from rebellion to under authority and he'll do amazing things with you. You obviously are a leader and you're using your gifts for the wrong way. And he goes, all right, that's pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) And then the guy next to him, I don't even think the guy next to him asked for anything, but the guy that called me out like that, he goes, what about him? Like that, kind of like, what about that guy? And I said, you... You're sneaky. I said, I watched you. I said, you're sneaky. I said, you don't think I saw you while I was preaching. I saw you. I said, you whispering in each other, in people's ears. I said, you're a sideways leader and God has called you to stop getting people into trouble and to call them up. Like use your sideways whispers to pull people forward instead of getting people in trouble. I saw you, you whispered to get people in trouble. And the guy was like, nailed him. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's an insightful eye. That's an insightful eye. And a leader should have an insightful eye into the situation. It, and, and if you have a propensity to questioning or being critical, uh, start praying, God, turn that into the insightful eye. Because you're partway there. You're partway there, but you're missing the good part. So pray that those two can get transitioned over to insightful. And if you have an analytical eye, don't pray that it turns into anything else. Pray that you can add insight to your analytical eye, but don't get rid of your gift. You don't have to change. You just have to soften the edges of your gift. That's it. Just soften the edges of your gift and run with the gift that God has given you, all right? So that was just a little thing that God dropped in on me during prayer, and just the pen was flowing like, you know, the, the pen could have wrote it by itself, you know, it just felt like that. All right, I felt very strongly to talk to you guys about this. When, where, and why I speak in tongues, okay? Um, I feel that uh, that might have been my fault. I think I hit the control panel. Are we good if I don't touch it anymore? All right, good, all right. When, where, and why I speak in tongues, and I feel like we need to grab hold of this more, I feel like when I talk to people, they're like, yeah, I got filled in tongues with tongues and got the gift and got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I was at camp and I was 15 and uh, I don't do much of it anymore. And I'm like, what do you mean? It wasn't like just for camp. Okay. And then I started asking people like, how often do you speak in tongues? They're like, yeah, you know, every once in a while, you know, and I'm thinking, seriously? Okay, so I wanted to give you a little insight into my life about speaking in tongues and how often I speak in tongues and the where and the why. And I want to just read this to you. I know it's a lengthy passage, but it's Paul, and he's talking about this. In 1 Corinthians 14, he, he, I don't think they have the scriptures for this. I didn't give them the heads up. So 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. And he goes on in in verse uh, 12. 
So it is with you, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those gifts that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay, so Paul's saying, he's kind of jumping back and forth like, I speak in tongues and I love this and I wish you all did, but if we're gonna do this in church, I'd rather have you speak with intelligible words rather than tongues. And if we're gonna have tongues, we have to have an interpretation. And if we're gonna have the spiritual gifts in operation, I'd rather have prophecy, just go for it, rather than having a tongue and then wondering if we're gonna get an interpretation. Let's use these gifts. These are for today. And he gives us some insight into uh, prayer, prophecy, tongues. And um, he just really is saying like, in the church, I want spirit-empowered words being preached. I want prophetic words spoken over the church. And uh, he, how many even know like, okay, just our style at River Valley, just Matt, you know, I'm not making fun of you, but Matt was like, where's the scripture for that? Because how many know that when I went up there with the prophecy, it was just like, here's something that I want to give to you. It wasn't like, my people, my people, thus saith the Lord over my people. And then Matt would have been like, okay, I got that. That's like prophecy or something, right? <laughs> right? Okay. So we just don't do it that way. It's just in the natural flow of life that we do it, okay? So he's saying, um, I, I would rather have you do those prophetic things with people than tongues and then hoping for an interpretation and all this. And he's saying, let's, let's go after the better gifts that will really help build up the church. And just so you know, our uh, philosophy, uh, our philosophy is I would rather have prophetic words spoken over our church a hundred to one than a tongue and interpretation. That's just my uh, look at this. I'm looking at what Paul said and the weight that he throws on it. And uh, we believe that anytime somebody's praying in tongues in our church, our rule of thumb is if they're using what is qualified as an indoor voice, it doesn't need an interpretation. You know, anytime there's projection to the tongue, uh, it needs an interpretation. All right. Um, I'm thinking back, uh, Nick. I think you gave an utterance in tongues once in our, our staff meeting, and uh, you know you just burst out. I mean, it was totally obedient. It was fine, and we had an interpretation with it. Uh, matter of fact, I'll share with you just uh, a tongue and interpretation that was given just the other day um, when we had our all the missionaries here. But we believe this that if it's an indoor voice, it's not being projected. It doesn't have to be interpreted. And I'm going to tell you a lot of times that I use an indoor voice of tongues. But I want to give you a couple things. The other night, God gave me a prophetic word over the missions meeting that we had. And then in the same meeting, like a day later, God gave a tongue and interpretation that was incredible. The tongue and interpretation, it was like all leaders that were here and the tongue came out and there was a, it was just absolutely spectacular. So I'll read it. I had Nathan uh, dictate these down and write them down. Uh, but the word that God spoke to me, uh, first I'll read the word and then I'll tell you what was going on in my mind. Uh, this is the word that God gave me to share prophetically over the group. And this is all missions groups that are here. Where on earth can the church of Jesus Christ not be built? It only takes two or three in his name. 
Where on earth can the word of Jesus Christ not be proclaimed? Where on earth can the name of Jesus not be lifted up? God has commanded us to go to the ends of the earth. It ends when we reach the ends. Let's keep believing for more, asking for more, and doing more in the name of Jesus. And so I felt that so strong over this group of missionaries, and they had just shared reports about, like, how are we going to get in these countries, and how are we going to start a church there? I'm sorry, I'm not touching. Let's get that fixed. Um, so I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm, I'm um, praying and and. and prophesying this over them in the message that I was preaching. Now, I knew I was getting a message, but let me back up. During the, the worship time, we pause, and there's a real silent time there, and I felt like God gave me this. And here's what's going on in my mind. Let me back up another 20 minutes. Before the meeting, I'm extremely agitated. I'm on edge. Everything's bothering me to a level like nothing bothers me. Okay, I mean, you walk by me wrong, and I'm like, why are you, do-? I mean, I'm just in a heightened sense of like, I, I'm not, I'm trying to tune into the Spirit, and anything that's distracting me from tuning into the Holy Spirit is irritating me, and I was probably at my worst that I've been in a month or so, okay, so I'm just, maybe six months, all right, so I was just agitated, and, I, and, and everything just agitated me, it was like, because I felt like the Lord was like, I got something I'm downloading to you, I got something that's going to happen, you're going to be used prophetically, and I was misinterpreting God's getting my attention spiritually and heightening my awareness to him as heightening my awareness to every other problem that was here. Does that make sense? Okay, so God's like, I'm trying to get you tuned in and I'm bringing your alertness to a higher level, but I'm not doing this for you to get irritated with the sound man. I'm doing this for you to get tuned into what I want to share through you. But I was misinterpreting it. And how many times know that you get busy and you just misinterpret what's going on? So that's what was happening. Then when I get the word given to me in the moment, I'm like, are you kidding me, Lord? I really can't be the one that shares this. Please give it to somebody else. I mean, Dr. Wood is sitting right now. He's the superintendent of our movement. Use him. I, this can't be me. Like, okay, that's going to be weird. Like, this is, just feels like show off, God. Like, why would you give me the word? I'm getting ready to preach the word. Use somebody else. I don't want to show off. Lord, we don't even hardly ever prophesy that much at River Valley. Like, this is not like, I'm not, this is going to seem like we do this all the time. And then they're going to wonder if we do this every meeting. This is going on in my mind. So, Lord, here am I. Use somebody else. This can't be of you. This is, I just, okay, this is what the struggle that's going on in my mind the whole time. And then finally, 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 I feel like the moment goes over, God's like, I gave you the word, now share it in your message. So I write it down. And then I go and I share it in the message. And it was just like, people were like, wow, we grabbed hold of it. So I'm just letting you know what was going on in my mind while that happened, and we're dealing with the supernatural, and we never get it perfect, all right? It's, it's supernatural, we're natural. Then there was the interpretation, and it was a beautiful prayer language, like, like not judging, like, the beauty of prayer language, but, like, that one was incredible, all right? That was just, the guy was just, it was like, it was like he was speaking a foreign language. It was just flat-out stinking beautiful, and Nathan's nodding his head. It was like another level like, this guy prays. That's all I'm saying. And then it was interpreted, and it says, but what have I called you to do? As great as it may seem in your eyes, I've not asked you to do it in your own ability or in your own strength. 
I say to you that I've paid the price already. I have promised you empowerment to do what I've called you to do. Do not be discouraged. Do not be cast down and do not listen to the naysayers. The negative voices that would come into your life, turn them away and hear what the spirit is saying to you, says the Lord. Hear what my spirit is saying to you and be stirred up again. Be stirred up again. Be renewed again in my spirit, says the Lord. Come back and trust in me, for I desire to show great and mighty things, greater than you've ever seen before, for the task is not done. The work is not over. The night is coming when no man will be able to work, but today we can arise and go work and go in my power, says the Lord. And go and do all that I've called you to do, but know that it is me that is empowering you to do it. You could have neither done it, you could have never done it on your own. You could never do what I'm asking you to accomplish by yourself. I've never expected that of you, says the Lord. I never would have thought that of you. I never would have asked that of you, but I have asked that you go and do it by, with my empowerment. Hold on for just a moment. When the tongue was given, I noticed a, a repetitive phrase like, Okay, I noticed when the tongue was given, I never would have thought that of you. I never would have asked that of you, but I've asked you to do it in my own power. If I never would have expected of you. And I thought, he's saying the same thing. And I noted it. I noted it when he was given the tongue. Like, whatever God's saying, he's saying some of it the same, some of it different, some of it the same, some of it different. And then he shares, like, in the interpretation, like, exact, like, like it was an interpreter of a language, I'm just saying, it impressed me. I was like, not that God has to impress me, but I was like, God, you, that was really impressive. Okay. I will give you my spirit if you will just go and do that which I've called you. Maybe that was an analytical eye. Okay. Uh, I, will, I will cause you to be a mighty force, says the Lord. I say to you, only eternity will know. Only eternity will be able to properly reward and adequately measure the impact of what is done when you go with my purpose and power. Trust me, when you go from this place united with one vision and empowered by my spirit, says the Lord. I mean, and the place is like, amen, amen, amen. It was incredible. So I believe in the giftings for today. I believe that we see them in operation, and uh, I absolutely loved it. So where, when, and why do I speak in tongues as I'm going over on time? But I'm going to go with this. Uh, when I wake up and I'm walking through my house, I pray in tongues. When I wake up in the morning and I just start mumbling around the house, you know, I start praying in tongues that quick in the beginning of the day. I'm praying in tongues. Even when I'm getting ready, when I am showering, I am praying in tongues. I mean, I get great ideas there. I may get a thought, a burden, anything that comes to my mind. I'm praying in tongues. It's okay to pray anywhere. I will pray in any moment at any time. I could be walking down the hallway at any one of our campuses, and all of a sudden, you will find me praying in tongues. I am praying in tongues all the time, all over the place. Whenever I'm listening to music, I will almost guarantee you, if it is any type of Christian music, I'm going to be praying in tongues somewhere during that song. You don't hear me walking around, shouting it out, but that's what's going on. I'm praying in tongues all the time. During worship, 100%, 100%, I am praying in tongues I am, like Paul says, singing in the spirit and singing in my understanding all the time. Every song, pretty much every song, I'm just making up words in tongues, all right? And you can't hear that, and that's fine, okay? I don't do it so everybody hears it. I'm just 
singing along. And sometimes I feel like the Holy Spirit has better words than what the person wrote, all right? And not criticizing the song. I'm just saying I'm doing praying in the Spirit. Whenever I'm facing spiritual warfare, I pray in tongues. If I feel a fear, if I feel an obstacle, if I see a, a combat spiritual situation that's happening, I pray in tongues all the time. If I feel like, a, like, like this agitates me, I start praying in tongues. I don't know what's going on, but the Holy Spirit does, and I start praying. Whenever somebody says, we need to pray, there's a struggle going on. I start praying in tongues. Why? Because I don't know the struggle. I don't know the details, but I know the Holy Spirit does. Romans 6, 26 or 28, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. So when I get into spiritual warfare, I just grab hold of that. Holy Spirit, you just start praying. Whatever I need to connect to the Father with, you start praying through me through the gift of tongues, and I'm praying in this warfare. I pray almost all the time in agreement with somebody in tongues, okay? Pastor Darren's praying at the end of his teaching. I'm agreeing in tongues. Sometimes I'll say amen. Sometimes I'll be praying in tongues. Sometimes I'll go back and forth, almost like I'm, you know, bilingual. It's like, yes, Lord, that's right, amen. And then, boom, right into tongues. And then, yes, Lord, that's good. And then, boom, right back into tongues. Almost every time I agree in prayer, I am praying in tongues, Okay? So much so that even when we were praying for Franklin Graham, we had the Rock the River Festival, and I was one of the board members for that. And they said, let's all gather around tomorrow. Franklin's going to be giving the gospel message like 10 times during the event. And so we're praying. Franklin Graham's here. I'm here. There's like all these people around, maybe about 15, 20 people. And we're laying hands on him. We're praying for him. And they asked a couple of people to lead out. And as they're leading out in prayer, I'm agreeing in prayer in tongues. Now, that might not seem like that big of a deal, except for, frankly, comes from a background that doesn't believe tongues is for today, okay? So I'm, like, in his grill, praying in tongues right here, and loud enough that it could be heard, but not loud enough that it needed an interpretation from my view. And all of a sudden, I feel an elbow in my side, and it's Becca, and she's like, she almost did the sign language thing for tongues. Did you know that? That's tongues right there. She almost did it. I would have known what she was saying, okay? That is the sign language for tongues, by the way. And I was like, because that's how I pray. That's how I pray. I was with a couple other pastors. And they said, do you mind if we pray for this situation? It was kind of intense. And I knew that they weren't all from the same theological background as us. And I said, do you mind if I agree in tongues? I mean, I'm not going like, to pray loud, but I'm, I, mean, I just feel like I want to pray in the spirit right here. And they're like, sure. Okay. You know, but I was like, I'm going to do that. I just do it. And I, I felt like I, did, I wasn't trying to offend Franklin. That's just me. That's just how I, now I wasn't trying to say, well, accept me and take it or leave it. I, I just flat out got caught into the, my normal operating way of praying, and I always agree in tongues with prayer. I mean, even at dinner, I mean, it just sounds weird, but I'm gonna, I, sometimes I'll even find myself at dinner with somebody they're praying, and I'm like, I'm praying in tongues, under my breath, just agreeing with the prayer. That's just the way I do it. I, every prayer team, whenever somebody's praying and they say, let's pray for this person, let's lay hands on them, we pray for them, I'm praying in tongues as we're praying for them. I'll never forget, I asked the church one day to pray for me, and we were down at the altar. This is a long time ago. The church was in the school. It was that long ago. 
And people were laying hands on me and they were praying over me and some were praying in tongues. And it was cool. One of the guys in the church was like, that is awesome. Like, when do you guys teach the Latin lessons so you learn how to pray in Latin like that, you know? I was like, that was tongues. He was like, oh, okay, when do you teach that? You know, like, it was, he didn't have a clue, but people were laying hands on me and praying. If I see an accident, a car accident, any type of accident, anybody in distress, I don't know the situation, I just immediately start praying in tongues. I see an ambulance go by. I will pray in tongues when the ambulance goes by. And I'll just like, just, okay. And the ambulance goes by and I pray in tongues until they're out of the way. All right. I don't, why? Because it's a spiritual gift God's given me to connect with God. And so I'm praying in tongues all the time. Walking down the street, I'll be praying in tongues. Walking through the mall. I was in the mall of du- uh, Dubai. I was in the Emirates Mall. These gigantic malls with wealth everywhere. And we kind of said, all right, you guys go there. Becca's gonna go there. I'm gonna go there. And I'm walking around the mall. I got my... Uh, earbuds in and I'm praying in tongues all the way around that mall like I was just enjoying it I was having a blast and I was praying in tongues all the way around the mall of Dubai in a in a Muslim country and I'm praying in tongues um, we, I prayed in a mosque we went on a tour in the mosque and I walked in there and I just like just kind of agitated me and I was like I'm just gonna pray in tongues the whole time just so I'm praying in tongues and anytime that my family wasn't talking to me I was praying in tongues why because I was in a mosque and and I'm just not flowing that way so I thought I'm praying whatever the Lord wants in this moment okay that's what I just did um I pray in my devotion time about 50-50 where Paul says, do I pray in the spirit and I pray in my understanding. I pray in my spirit and then I switch right over to praying in tongues and then I pray in the spirit. Um, Whenever someone gives me an unknown, unspoken prayer request, you know, I, I pray. If I don't know the details, I pray in tongues. With the list of members that we get, the 30 people on our prayer sheet every week, what I do is I run my finger down that list and I pause on each one while I'm praying in tongues. Okay, I go right down the list and I point at them and I I don't know their needs. If I know their needs, I pray in my understanding. If I don't, I pray in tongues over each of those 30 families, over those leaders. I don't know what they're facing. Over anybody that is on that list, our ministry directors, I just point at them and pray in tongues. I write my family's names down in my soap journal and that day and I look at their name and I pray for them in tongues. I pray over my family members in tongues while I'm doing my soap devotional time. Um, I pray during every altar call, no matter who's preaching. When there's an altar call and there's a moment of decision, whether it's the conclusion of the service or a salvation call is being given, I'm like, I immediately go into prayer in tongues. Immediately. It's just the way I've trained myself that whatever's going on in that moment, I'm engaging in the spiritual battle, in the spiritual moment, in the call to accountability or the call to action. I immediately jump into praying in tongues, okay? And again, I pray anywhere. I felt like anybody remember that, where do you eat grain, eggs, and ham? In a boat, in a moat, in a car, (laughs) near and far. I mean, that's how I feel, Tongues should be every day, and I've even challenged some people praying tongues 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes a day until you build up. And what happens? The more you pray in tongues, the, I've even seen this, your vocabulary expands. It does. I'm just telling you, like that guy that gave that tongue the other day, it, it was an, exp- that's why I was like, the dude hears from Jesus. That, that was not new to this guy. That, that, Guy prays in tongues at a level 
that is almost like Apostle Paul level. That's what I'm just trying to explain to you. And so your vocabulary expands and it, and it moves forward and you start praying greater, deeper, stronger, and then it becomes just a natural outflow of your daily life. Do not put tongues at camp and leave it there. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I think as leaders in this church, we should say, I pray in tongues more than all of you. You know, your church, the, the campus you lead, the youth group you lead, it should be natural. It should be, you should be challenging kids that receive those gifts. At, are you praying? Don't, let, don't leave it at camp. Don't leave it at camp. Let's let this be a normal, normal, normal part of our life. Um, yes. Oh, it's interesting. I, I actually, Becky just reminded me of this. I pray in tongues when I'm sleeping. I did not know this till she pointed it out to me. She's like, you spoke in tongues like all night long while you were sleeping. Now I got to tell you, the co- this is for real. This is, it doesn't, I wake up in the morning incredibly refreshed. You'd think that I would not be refreshed but I wake up in the morning incredibly refreshed and I will pray in tongues through the entire night. It's, it's amazing. It's, I can't even, so I don't even know that I'm doing it, but Becca was like, I thought you were talking to me and then I realized you were talking to me and then I realized you were praying in tongues and I forgot all about that. It happens and uh, it's not all the time, but it does and it's, it's amazing. You should, you should ask God, God, let me pray in tongues while I sleep. And I thought I was one of the only ones until I read Robert Morris's book on it. And before he ever spoke verbally out loud in tongues in a public setting, he was doing it at night while he was sleeping. And his wife was like, you prayed in tongues at night. And he's like, I did what? And she's like, you prayed in tongues. He's like, I don't have that gift. She's like, apparently you do because you did it all night long. Okay. So I thought, you know, so I know somebody else that does it too, but I do that. I do that. And, um, man, we can't let this one go. I, I, I'm not trying to be crazy charismatic because I've lived it. I've been in the churches that are weird, but we are not going to throw out the power uh, just to avoid a little bit of weird. I, I guarantee you, we will make sure things are done decently in order, but we need a little more of this. And just, again, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, like, grab a microphone and do the announcements and re-ta-ta. Don't do that, okay? None of that. Do not, do not, none of that, okay? If you have a microphone and it's amplified, that's not indoor voice. Worship leaders, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. Step away from the mic and speak in tongues. Don't do it in the mic unless we're going to get an interpretation. You're just going to bring confusion to the body if you do that, okay? All right? All right? All right, in your indoor voice here, I just feel like we're just supposed to exalt God and just take a moment and uh, I'm going to put the mic down, and I just want you to pray in your prayer. Like nobody needs to amplify or, or go crazy loud, but your own moment right now, thank God for the gift that he's given. If you've not received the gift right now, just ask him for that gift and just say, God, I desire to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I desire this. I desire this. This is a good thing. Let's just do this for just a moment.
Uh, Lord, I thank you for the gift that you give to us, more power in the Holy Spirit. It is just a gift that we get. There are other gifts that Paul says would build up the body even more, and we earnestly desire all those gifts. Gives us, give us words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecies, healings, gift of faith, miracles, discerning of spirits. I prayed that over Justin Mack the other day. I prayed that in his deeper calling with Global, he'd have discerning of spirits. I pray for those that lead groups that they would have prophetic words over them and delivered in such a way that they would feel that it was almost just uh, really powerful words that they spoke. It wouldn't be dressed up in King James or in cultural verbiage, but it'd be just given in power and authority. We thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you for our prayer languages that we've been given. May we pray in the spirit. May we pray in the understanding. And may we realize there is a power that is available to us. The enemy will not steal away such a valuable gift to draw us closer to Jesus. It's not left at camp. It is an everyday blessing. Thank you for that. Thank you in your name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.